Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with a special guest. His name is Josh Cutler. He's a mental health professional who's worked in healthcare for nearly 20 years. He's a psychotherapist, a social worker, and a people leader. Josh's work focuses on improving access to mental health services for people vulnerable to suicide. Josh is also the author of his memoir, The Day Hospital, and here he shares his struggle with mental health and his diagnosis and recovery of overcoming and managing day to day in the hopes that his vulnerability will lead others to seek help as well. Josh and I talk about his book, his story. We talk about the suicide risk among healthcare professionals, and we talk about the power of human connection and creating a safe space for others to share how they're really feeling. So grab your drink of choice. You don't want to miss this episode. Hey, Josh. Hello. Welcome. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to have you on the show. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think things happen like for a reason. And lately, for example, I, I talk about burnout on this podcast quite a bit, but I haven't been lately. But just this week, I've released a podcast episode on women and burnout. And I was referencing an article from The Greater Good at the University of Berkeley where they talked about suicide rates among Mm -hmm. female physicians. And and I thought you were coming on the show this week and I thought, oh, this this could be a good conversation. So I thank you for being here. But before we get into that, can you tell us more about who you are? Yeah. Uh, So I'm Josh Cutler. I'm a licensed clinical social worker based in Seattle. I've worked in healthcare for about 17 years now in a variety of settings from 
uh, long-term care to outpatient mental health uh, to telehealth a lot the last couple of years and um, have held a variety of positions ranging from administrative to clinical. And these days, my my role seems to be a mix of um, leadership and direct practice, which which I enjoy kind of having the opportunity to do both. And um, so I've also worked in small clinics and then also in very big health systems. My most recent role was um, working in the third largest health system in the United States. Um, that's really big here on the West Coast and I'm actually starting up a new job in uh, the new year. So um, in a couple of weeks, I'll taking a little time off with my family, but then I'm starting a, a new job where I'm going to be working alongside uh, primary care doctors and their care teams um, to be building a, a behavioral health service within primary care. I'm really excited to be doing that work again. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so are you more, when you said leadership and stuff, are you more in the hospital environment or? You, you know, like I've currently? always worked in the, in the outpatient environment. Oh, um, okay. But I have a lot of colleagues that work in the hospitals. And often when people hear social workers, especially when they work in healthcare, that's kind of the first thing that they yeah. think of the, the amazing social workers that work in the hospital setting. Uh, but I've always been more on the um, outpatient mental health side um, when I've done clinical work. And so um, worked closely with psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health counselors. And so that's oh, most of my work is as, as a psychotherapist. And then the last couple of years, I've led a large a telebehavioral health service that we um, actually turned on to take care of healthcare providers. We built uh, it before COVID with scale in mind. And we were very busy. And um, yeah. had, uh, so what you mentioned earlier about uh, the suicide rate of, of female physicians, that's very close to my heart. We, we lost a number of physicians to suicide um, in our health system and not just physicians, other, other specialties as well. And, um, and it's just been, you know, really painful. And, and so part of my work was in response to that, to create more robust offerings for our caregivers um, to be able to reach out for help and actually be able to get a trained therapist on the uh, phone within, you know, a few days, if not mm-hmm. the same day. And so, um, so that's been kind of my specialty in the last couple of years, actually, healthcare providers. And it's something I'm really passionate about. And so often we're great at helping our patients, but not so good at taking care of ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's great that you're, I don't know if scaling is the right word, but that's kind of how it's like happening in a sense that there's such a great need right out there. One of the things, I mean, I, I usually prepare questions to ask in advance uh, for my guests, but today I really wanted to just have a conversation because I think this could go in so many different directions based on your story, uh, based on you being a healthcare provider as well. So are you noticing that healthcare providers are coming forward and asking for more help? Because I sometimes think that, um, you know, in speaking from personal experiences too, that there's a stigma, right, around healthcare providers seeking help because, you know, they don't, you you know, they want, they don't want to be judged for seeming unfit, or they don't want things to be documented, you know, with their name being attached to any type of illness, right? So are you noticing that, that the stigma is kind of, you know, dissolving a bit or no? I I would say yes and no. I would say on on the one hand, we're talking about it a lot more. I think it's just in everybody's face that 
COVID has gone on for so long and the healthcare providers on the front lines, many are experiencing PTSD and um, anxiety. And, and just even those that don't have those diagnoses, it's just, it's really stressful. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. friends with a lot of people that are continuing to work in the hospital and just hearing the stories that they tell. And especially those early days when we didn't really know what we were dealing with and they would mm-hmm. go, come home and have to like undress in the garage and run right to the shower um, yeah. and not, not, not want to get their family sick. I mean, that takes a toll. And, um, and so I think people are, are more openly talking about their stress because I think in the past, healthcare providers have felt like, um, well, I need to keep this to myself because the, all the other people around me are strong. And, and certainly the um, training model for physicians has been to kind of be the tough one <laughs> and kind of yeah. tough it out. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's been this idea of it's okay to not be okay. We've certainly democratized suffering that, wow, this has been really painful for everybody. And we're all talking about how difficult this is. And so um, yeah. so as painful as that's been, I think that's been a positive. Now, um, I, there's still systemic barriers related to even seeking help and then having to, you know, I have, I'm licensed in a few states here. And and I, and I don't know if you guys have national licensing in Canada, but here it's state by state. And so every state's different as far as what they want you to um, fill out. And they ask specific questions about like, have you been treated for a mental illness? Like, ever, like one was like ever or in the last wow. 10 years or something. And, and I have, and so, uh, but I felt like I had to get a letter from my doctor and like, and you know, I wasn't actively having any trouble, but it was like, I had, it wasn't affecting my work, but I had, I'd gotten help a long time ago, which, um, I think actually makes me better at what I do. And I'd rather get care from somebody that got help versus somebody that's avoided ever getting help. And so I know that there's people, I mean, I talk to people about this issue and they won't get help for that very reason. They're just afraid it can affect your livelihood uh, big time. And, um, and, and some of the states here are starting to change those rules so that people aren't being asked those questions. So directly it's more related to do you have something going on with your health that impacts your work in mm-hmm. any way currently, which is important to check in about. But the fact that someone got treatment for drinking 10 years ago and has been sober or it hasn't been an issue for them for a very long time, I don't think that's anybody's business. And, uh, and so, um, so it's, it's, it's hard. I think it's, we have a long way to go. The things that are like baked into the system, but I think yeah. just the fact that people are talking about it is big. Was that the intention of the system in asking those questions, though, was to not like was to exclude people who have been ill? What do you think that was the intention of the system? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that are baked into the system around patient safety, that, okay. in my opinion, end up causing so much red tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of leading mm-hmm. to some dangerous levels of burnout. Just the level of documentation, for example, that you know the amount of time doctors spend in an electronic medical record, not just doctors, all healthcare providers, um, mm-hmm. and that ends up potentially leading to healthcare errors other places. Yes, the, the documentation is showing high quality care, but the doctors are so fried and might yeah. be making mistakes other places um, yeah. because they're spending so much time in front of the computer. 
And so, um, so that's an example where, you know, some, some issues are, are being caused by that stuff. Uh, I could see that just experiencing electronic documentation myself and having it be yeah. new, newer to my practice. I work in hospital. It's mm-hmm. something that I've had to and still have to continue to get used to. It's a different way of <laughs> communicating yeah. Yeah. just paper <laughs> pen. So like, I just want to show the book, if that's okay with you, your book, The Day Hospital, you can see it's tabbed. Yeah. I was telling you earlier that <laughs> wow. before we started really recording, that's only like half the book because <laughs> I, I truthfully haven't read all of it yet. But um, like I was saying, um, when I read something, it's almost like I study it in a way and I really try to empathize with what I'm reading. Um, and yeah, I was just getting carried away with the tabs, Josh. So, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I know I'm this flattered. is... That's <laughs> my life story, Tab. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, so this is your second edition. Yes. So tell yes. me why. Like I I love the power of your vulnerability in this book. Like it to me, it's just incredibly moving. And I do think it's gonna liberate other providers, especially um, male or female, um, to to share their own story, whatever it might be, their own journey, whatever it might be, I hope, and, and to seek help if they need it. But tell me why you wrote the first one anonymously. Like, was it you just weren't ready to be vulnerable enough to share your name to it, or what, what was that? Yeah. About? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been an intense process, and um, mm-hmm. and it's been uh, really um, a long journey to get to the point where I'm at with it now. Um, and I would say that early drafts that I shared with other people who were close to me who knew some of these stories and maybe didn't know a lot beyond that. And I was kind of entertaining a pseudonym. Um, but I had a couple of people say, you know, you really might want to write this. <laughs> like This is really personal. I was at a place in my career where, you know, I felt like I was still establishing myself, especially in leadership roles. And I just didn't want to have any question about my judgment or my skills um, or ability to do the job. And I write about in my book just that I benefit from a lot of privilege of being a white man and Mm -hmm. um, suddenly having a serious mental illness diagnosis attached to my name. Some of that gets taken away. And I'm aware of that. Now I've got two little girls and uh, family to support. So um, so that all kind of went into that thinking. Um, And and in a way, it really helped. And I but I was really wanting to publish. So I was able to get it published anonymously and I didn't use a pseudonym because that felt a little strange and ended up just blacking out my name and all the reference and I made I made a point about that in the introduction yeah. and I explained why and it felt like it just it almost looked like a redacted document so that was basically where it started and then I shared it with friends and family and I don't know, probably a couple hundred people read it and I just got really positive feedback from people and it led to some really meaningful conversations with um, people in my life, some of whom I knew, some of them even knew pretty well, but I didn't know that they'd gone through serious mental health challenges. And I reconnected with like some old friends from high school and college that I'd sort of lost touch with. We'd had their own challenging journeys. Mm-hmm. And now we kind of had this thing in common and, and it's really enriched my relationships and, um, and so that's was sort of the flip side of the fear of all the bad things that could happen if I'm vulnerable. It's like, oh, actually, my life got richer. 
<laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not so scared of this being found out. And I shared it even with the people that I worked with, with my boss and, and others. And, and it just was like, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with. And, and so that was really liberating. And then I got to the point just in the middle of COVID where it was just like, okay, we need to have more of a conversation, you know, as a society about mental health and uh, people that have experienced positive success related to treatment often don't talk about it. Like we're everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. a huge percentage of people in North America have gotten mental health treatment of some uh, sort, whether they're taking medication or or um, have got therapy or both some combination, like it's not an insignificant amount. And, and so, um, and I know that in just the numbers of people that I see in my practice that you would see walking around, you'd think they're totally fine. And so recognizing that me as somebody who's been through some significant challenges um, and come out relatively whole on the other side with a story to tell, um, I, I felt like that should be shared. And, and I also found it was really hard to promote an anonymous book. And so it was kind of, <laughs> I, I was wanting to promote it a little bit more and actually sell some copies of it. And, um, and so it was like, all right, I got to put my um, name <laughs> on it and, <laughs> um, and, and, and get out there. So that's what I've been doing. And, and I, I haven't looked back and, Um, and it's, but I'm, I'm glad I still warmed up to it. I I wouldn't recommend just totally putting all of your tough things that have happened in your life out for the world to see right off the bat. So, (laughs) yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, we talk, there's a lot of talk out there about vulnerability, right? And it's something I struggle with too, like personally to be like vulnerable and open. So I I really appreciate how you did it on your time and, you know, in your way. And you you kind of didn't know that you were going to probably have a second book, but like, you know, that was published by you (laughs) Um, about your your story, Um, but that it just evolved into that. And I think that that's, that's great that you just went with it. So I wanted to quote something that a lot of people might be feeling when they when they have when they've thought about maybe talking to an employer about you know going through something um, struggling. So if that's okay with you, I'm just going to quote this one part from the book. <laughs> you ready? Um, sure. yeah. It's when it's when you're about to tell your boss that you were going to basically get help and that I think you needed okay. some time. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, just a short quote. So you go, you go to say, um, would this admission lead to questions about my competence, my resilience, my ability to take on tough challenges and see them through? Would the promotions end? The conversation was short, and he was very supportive, to say the least. So can you like tell me what that moment was like for you to have, like to actually have the courage to share this? Because I can only imagine, like you said, you were kind of rising up. Um, in your workplace. And yeah, you were probably worried about losing all of that. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, and I should also preface this with, you know, I worked um, at that point for a lovely psychiatrist who's a big mental health advocate. So this is like his yeah. world. So, um, right. so I knew it was sort of a safe place, but I've also worked for other bosses in the past that I, I felt like they talked about mental health and stuff but I just wasn't ready to ever talk about this stuff so I didn't have to I want to make it clear to people that you have legal rights where your employer does not have to know that 
you know, if, if you get the documentation from your doctor that you need time off for health related reasons, uh, you know, you can, you can take that time off. And I know what, whatever country you enter, it's a little, it's a little bit different, but, um, but I know that, uh, but that's a piece of it. Like you don't necessarily have to be upfront, but for me at that point, it, it just felt like, you know, I want to share this. This has been frankly going on for a while. It's been mm-hmm. exhausting. It's exhausting to live mm-hmm. with serious mental illness and one, just be dealing with the symptoms of it. And then two, dealing with managing other people's perceptions all the time. I'm mm-hmm. really good at acting like I'm okay. And that takes up a lot of energy. And, and so to just be able to let my guard down a little bit, to be able to say, you know, really actually I'm not okay. I need to take this time. I don't know what's going to happen on the other mm-hmm. side of it. And actually I came back stronger and we went on to create um, some really amazing programs. I did get promoted and, awesome. um, and I have a new job that I'm starting in a couple of weeks based that. Um, I'm really excited about that's a big step up for me that's I was offered on the grounds of all the work I'd done in the past and so it actually had for me led to some good opportunities and I and I think frankly I had relationships with with my boss and others and people know but knew that I was um, you know I had a lot to, to offer and and was working hard and probably working myself too hard at that point and so I would just encourage you before you are, are at a point where you might need to have this conversation with a boss, building a relationship with them. And it doesn't have to be super personal. There can be certainly boundaries around it, but just getting them, know them a little bit and, and even finding little ways to just mention that, you know, your stress is getting to you or other things. And, and um, anybody that I would want to work for at this point in my life would be supportive of these things. I know that's not always the case for everybody, and certain times we just need to stay in some jobs. But I think in the long run, for any of our uh, mental wellness, it's good to be in an environment where you're going to be supported. Because at any point, someone in our life that's really important could pass away or get sick, or you know, we need to be able to live our lives. And then it includes not just taking care of other people, but taking care of ourselves. Yeah, I think that's I think that's hugely. Um worth stating though is that I think you kind of know at least I did um, when you have an employer who you can't feel safe with or you don't feel safe with and the difference between the two like I think you just know if if you do feel safe enough and thankfully you did Um, and I do think that's one of the one of the big factors people have to look at when they stay in a job that they're that they're in um, you know is is the relationships you have in the workplace too uh, for Mm -hmm. sure yeah, we spend yeah. so much time there, right? Like, yeah, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You got to enjoy the company too. So, yeah. who would you say this? Who would you say your book, your story, like when you were writing it, is intended for? Mm-hmm. Like, who are you thinking about? Well, I, I think it's a, a range of audiences. I would say one is for because it's it's kind of a coming of age story. I, I talk about kind of my early experiences kind of growing up and then my struggles in college where my challenges with depression hit really hard. And so I think young people that are struggling with a new diagnosis of mm-hmm. depression or bipolar disorder or anxiety disorders um, to show that there's hope that, you know, just because you have this diagnosis doesn't mean that your not life is not going to become of anything. Like my life is still hard. I get depressed sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I may 
struggle really hard with this stuff more in the future, but I also have a nice home and a lovely wife and beautiful children and work that I enjoy and good friends and hobbies. And there's a lot of good in, in life. And, um, and also I, I think for, for parents or friends of people that are going through um, a serious mental health crisis that maybe are looking for a way to understand like what's going on. I think this is a way to do that. I try to be pretty relatable in my life generally. And I try to come across that way in the book. And, and so I, I'm just like a regular guy <laughs> that's been yeah. through some, some tough stuff. And, um, and so I hope that, you know, like, you know, if someone's, I've, I've talked to some parents whose kids have struggled with serious mental illness who said that it was really helpful to kind of see this perspective and help them understand and give them a little bit of, of peace. And, and then also I write specifically for healthcare providers. Um, a couple of the chapters I added in the new edition were related to my okay. own experience of working during COVID in healthcare and especially supporting nurses and physicians and other healthcare professionals um, emotionally and, and what that was like. And um, I wanted to make sure it, it felt like this big thing had happened that not featured in my first edition and um and so i wanted to add some of my thoughts on that and um so that's in there as well wow so yeah like i felt like when i was reading the book i i felt like you were just telling me the story you know that's that is how i felt like you said it's super relatable you know like even your thought process and your reflections on your 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 thoughts and your feelings you know in some ways i could relate to too Mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit about I know um, you you shared very powerfully um, a couple of incidences, you know, in your college years where you did attempt to take your life, right? And can we talk about that, like now when we talk about healthcare providers and how, like, if anybody can relate, it's going to be you. And I think, like you said, it's, I think if anything, like it makes you more empathetic, to the situation, right? Because truthfully, like I wasn't super aware of this until COVID hit, that it was this bad. Um, When I had read the headline about um, the New York ER doctor who took her life, um, that just, that story just, you know, just killed me. Like, I just couldn't Mm -hmm. believe that. And then we also lost, um, like, I'm a physiotherapist or a physical therapist, (laughs) um, how uh, it's termed in the States, Um, you know, lost a a local physical therapist to suicide too, not that long ago. And so, yeah, um, so it's tough. And I, I, I don't think we talk about it enough. Like, I just, I don't think people are comfortable talking about it. I know it's hard for me to talk about, um, but yeah. I think it's something we have to start talking about and normalizing the conversation around it so that people can feel more comfortable sharing and mm-hmm. supporting. Um, so can you give any insight on, you know, on the experiences of healthcare providers? Yeah. Well, for one, yeah, this is really hard to talk about. It's something that our culture struggles to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also it's something that healthcare providers outside of behavioral health are not given much training to talk about with their own patients. Even. And so oh, that's yeah. been a big part of my work, educating, um, healthcare providers on like how to talk with their patients about this. And it's not just like psychiatrists, right. <laughs> like it's usually so we true, know somebody's having these issues if they're seeing a psychiatrist where 
you know, it could be that they're seeing a, um, I'm going to call you a physical therapist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, or their primary care doctor, or there's statistically a big number of folks that die by suicide have seen a healthcare provider in the month before they died. Um, and so often we just don't ask about it. And people are afraid, like, well, if I ask, and then they, they endorse suicidal ideation, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the conversation that I'm really invested in right now. There's a concept called zero suicide, and there's a lot of work happening um, across the uh, world, really, in, in healthcare around it. You know, how do we, you know, the, what's the acceptable number of suicides when they were trying to figure out a name for this thing? They decided, oh my well, goodness. Zero. Um, <laughs> that's what we're shooting for. And, uh, oh my and goodness. so, the you know first step is you know routine screening especially when there's a concern and, and education for people that may be running into these folks and to how to have these conversations so there's there's some really great uh programs out there that if they're not doing them in a setting that you're working in and you're concerned about this um it's something that i would really you know recommend and part of it is just finding um, some language to be able to talk to your colleagues if you're concerned and mm-hmm. to be able to um, like ask about certainly suicidal ideation if, if that's something that you think might be on the table. Um, the, the you know worst case sometimes would be that you might bring it up with somebody and they'd be uh, um, a little offended or embarrassed, but that usually it's more of the other side that they're maybe struggling with something, but they haven't known how to talk with anybody about it. And, um, and it can lead to a conversation where I I talk to a lot of people about suicidal thoughts. Most of the time people are not at imminent risk of harming themselves. Um, but that once those thoughts get going, um, especially for healthcare providers that understand human physiology mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and that's part of why female physicians are dying at such high rates is that, um, women actually across the general population attempt suicide at much higher rates than men, but they often don't die by suicide. Whereas men have access to guns and often, um, at a you know, higher rate than women and, um, mm-hmm often are more likely to die that way where female physicians understand, you know, if they're wanting to do this, I recently learned um, veterinarians actually are at very high risk for suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a mental health pandemic and uh, veter- oh. veterinary uh, because um, they, you know, are used to putting like animals down and know mm-hmm. how to do that. And a human is a big animal. Um, yeah. And so, so um, to um, have a, some education that's that's regular and ongoing that you know okay we talk about this stuff we understand that people sometimes have these thoughts that are difficult and we want to make sure that people aren't acting on them i mean that's Mm -hmm. the big thing like suicidal thoughts are pretty normal people feel hopeless at times they don't feel like there's um any way out and that's something to get focused on and um and it's good to get those addressed as soon as possible but really especially when when people start to then have a plan for how they're going to carry that out make sure people are getting um the same level attention as they would if they were having a heart attack right because it's really um, dangerous right especially if left unheard or 
you know, spoken about. It, you just um, made me think about something, actually. Just I've been practicing for 14 years, and there are so many questions we ask, you know, during an assessment, let's say. And we don't, I, I know that lately I've been asking about mood, like I will ask um, my patients, you know, so how's your mood been? But it's not something that I could say has been standardized, right? In, in our practice to, to ask about things like that. We talk about, let's say, like recreational substances and things like that, but we don't talk about someone's mental health at all like we've mm-hmm. totally don't and like you said we think it's you know psychology or psychiatry that we're kind of siloed that way but really it's just a matter of having that rapport there and you could be yeah. anyone right and if someone's opening up yeah. to you you know we should be more informed as to how to to handle that and yeah how to help others get help essentially yeah and i think being able to make sure that those providers, if you're going to start asking those questions, like have the resources to be able to refer to. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the time, people are just going to be grateful to be able to talk about it. Right. Um, if someone's depressed, they're not going to be following through on the stretches and other things you're asking them to do. Exactly. At home. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and so it's good to know that, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. so like, oh, well, it sounds like you stopped taking your antidepressant a couple of weeks ago and you haven't been consistent seeing your therapist and that's impacting mm-hmm. our care. Like, mm-hmm. you know, having that kind of more holistic approach. That's what I love about working in primary care where some of the stigma also of going to a specialist for mental health problems is taken away where I'm just part of a doctor's office visit. Um, and they can talk okay. with me as they would talk to their regular doctor. I'm just an extension of that care team. Um, because yeah, so often, so many people just wouldn't even go to psychiatry or, um, to a mental health therapist or clinical social worker, but, um, but they are up for talking to their primary care doctor or other providers on their team about these things. And, and so to be prepared to give them good resources to respond if someone comes in in crisis or if somebody comes in and they're just, you're used to seeing them and they're Mm -hmm. usually present one way and just they're really different one time like uh, being able to have the questions to ask to be able to check in like hey what's different for you right now you know what's what's on your mind is there um anything we should be concerned about you don't have to just ask right directly are you thinking of hurting yourself but you kind of warm up to that and that's why it's just so important to have relationships with your patients yeah one of the things i i've said for a while now um is that if i ever went back into private practice uh, like I'm fortunate now I work on an inpatient rehab unit. So it's very, mm-hmm. you know, interprofessional and, um, you know, mm-hmm. I can refer to a social worker and, and psychologist if I need to, or psychiatry as well. But I've, I've always said like recently that if I were to go into private practice, I would want a social worker, like I would hire a social worker or psychology, like before another physical rehab professional, basically, because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, being in the hospital environment, I see how, how significant it is especially now in in the last couple of years like you know it's not very rarely now is it just physical (laughs) you know as a physiotherapist so um yeah it's definitely seeing the layers or i would just say that's part of a lot of people's training now too and working in these interdisciplinary environments so i think we're going to see it more and more you know and it's just professionals demand it (laughs) yeah yeah um, they want it um yeah yeah, like everything in healthcare, things take time too, right? For the system to kind of 
eventually catch up and change. So what is your advice for healthcare providers who are struggling right now, who are feeling burned out, Josh, who, who might be feeling where you once felt between, you know, liking their work, doing their work well, but also struggling on the inside too, losing themselves and having personal responsibilities? Like, what is your advice for them to, to kind of start moving forward or finding help? So for one, I would say that if you're feeling bad, if you're struggling, if you're burned out, it's not only you. A lot of people are feeling this way, and I don't want to say that in a hopeless way that this is the only way to feel, but just to normalize it, um, right. that that this is that the environment you're working in is not conducive for human thriving. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, so um, and we're working on that, but it's, it's not, but also you've, you know, invested a lot in this profession, um, a lot of education, a lot of time and, um, and a lot of passion and feel like you're going to throw it all away. Um, mm-hmm. and so finding some smaller ways, I would say to slow down and to take care of yourself and the people around you taking stock of what's really important to you. And what in the job um, gives you the most joy and satisfaction and making sure that you're doing some of those things every day. Um, I think people that went into healthcare careers often sacrificed a lot with this kind of promise of, well, you're going to be living your bliss on the other side of it. And right. <laughs> you're going to be joyful at work every day. And, you, you know, we look at other people or young people that are thinking about going back to school and they want to interview us and kind of thinking, that, uh, you know, on the other side of this, I'm going to be happy all the time. And the reality is it's still work. It's still yeah. life. Um, and there's still paperwork forever. And, <laughs> yeah, um, it's not and going away. Still, um, yeah. And there's still, you know, we still have difficult thoughts and feelings as, as humans. We still have to work with other people who are often difficult, um, yeah. but all wonderful. And, um, and so, you know, just in some ways, accepting the reality of, uh, of where you're at um, and, and looking at, okay, what parts of this can I make work better for me to give me the things that I need to really practice the way I want to practice and also live the life that I want to live. And, mm-hmm. and it's so important to find that, that balance mm-hmm. also for your, your personal and your professional life. Um, it can be really easy to get to have it get so out of balance. And, um, and so, you know, that may be if, if you have the opportunity to work a little bit less, um, or, you know, if you have a spouse that you can carry the load with financially a little bit differently, we've been um, kind of reshuffling things in my household this year, which has been good all around. And, Mm -hmm. um, but we, you know, have the privilege to be able to do that. I would say not everybody can. Um, and certainly I was raised by a single mom who worked a lot, uh, who, um, didn't always, you know, have the opportunity to just turn down work cause she needed to chill. So, yeah. um, so I get what that is when people just feel like they need to take on extra shifts to be able to take care of their family. But, um, but I would also look at your overall wellness and say, okay, yeah, I'm working these extra shifts for my kids, but maybe I don't need to take all of the extra shifts. 
maybe I can have some balance because the reality is I also need to be home and be present to my kids, mm -hmm. not just for them, but for me, because that's mm -hmm. the point of life to, to be engaged with our loved ones. They say yeah. that uh, we're not going to wish we went to work more when, when yeah. we're on our deathbed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so true. So true. Um, so those are some, some areas that I would um, highlight. And, and also like, if you feel like you want to get mental health support, like I, I'm a mental health professional, um, you know, I, I hope that we're starting to come out of the shadows more as not being so scary. Like we're not going to make you talk about your mother the whole time or send you mm -hmm. right to go on medication. Mm -hmm. Now there might be some stuff going on with your mom and medication <laughs> might be helpful, but, um, but that's, you know, it's, it's not so black and white. And, um, and there's, you know, a lot of really good approaches to, um, addressing human distress and, and a key thing is just finding a safe space. Um, and that's not always with a professional. It can be with a friend, a family mm -hmm. member, just a place to let your hair down a little bit and share, kind of be really real about what's going on. Yeah, I think that goes a long way, what you just said there at the end. Um, what do you attribute to your wellness? You know, you've been through some dark times, and I'm sure you've questioned whether you would make it out on the other side. So what do you attribute to your wellness today? And and staying well? I attribute it to partly some grit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm also now recognizing that that can sometimes get me in trouble because sometimes we keep going and going and going when, oh, it's okay now. I can <laughs> relax. And, yeah. um, and oh. I, I think I have amazing friends and um, wonderful family that I'm so grateful for. I have not been on this journey alone by any means. And so that's been just a key part of my experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I think also um, it's been a you know, journey of acceptance of, of accepting, wow, I've been through some of these experiences. Um, I talk a bit about my experience with medication. I still think medication mm -hmm. is something I'm pretty ambivalent about, but it's like, you know what it seems to be helping me right now. And more about focusing on living the life that I want to be living. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not like perfectly well. I've got high cholesterol that I'm working on and other things, um, partly from just sitting and snacking too much the last couple of years. <laughs> and um, Like everybody and, else. And, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. But I, I think I'm getting clearer in my life about what are the important things to me and and continuing to orient my life towards towards those things and letting others uh, fall away. Um, but also recognizing that, um, you know, I have some things that I'm really passionate about that are, are really important to me around um, changing the conversation about mental health care in this country. And that takes a certain amount of stress and energy to, to be even having these conversations mm -hmm. to be um, a little bit more vulnerable, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be doing it because it um, I think leads to a more authentic world. And that's one I want to be part of. Yeah, I think that's one thing we, we all want to be part of. And I, I thank you for leading the way. And uh, you truly are a leader, you know, inside and out. So I appreciate that so much. Um, one of the things I will say, you know, support is so important. But your resilience, when I was reading the book, there were moments where I was reading, like when you pulled up to the day hospital, for example, and when I was reading your inner dialogue, I thought like you did this alone though like you took that initiative and your wife was super supportive and 
and but you made the decision to ultimately get help. So yeah, thank you so much for doing that. And thank you so much for, like I said, leading and sharing your story. And I think that, you know, when I talk, I talk a lot about education and stuff, and I really wish these types of stories and books were required readings in health education, (laughs) because rather than just textbooks, Josh, because I think, I think these are the types of stories, your story is one that needs to be read um, in order to understand human connection and, Yeah. yeah, and the healing of that. So. Thank you so much for being here. And where can people reach out to you, follow you, buy your book? So there's a little information about me on my website, joshcutler.net. The best way to get my book is actually on amazon.com. And those are kind of the key ways to reach me. I'm at, um, on Instagram at joshcutler, L-I-C-S-W. And um, you can find me on Facebook as well. Awesome. So we'll attach that to the show notes for people to, to reference. Thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for your time. I hope we keep in touch. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah. Take care. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward. And I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.